You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Colossians chapter 3, and we will be in the verses this morning that Ina just read for us. And uh, just welcome. If you're new here, my name is uh, Jamin Roller. I'm one of the lead pastors here at Citizens Church, and we're so thrilled that you uh, chose to be here this morning. So thrilled for those of you who are watching uh, from home. And, and this is, uh, since we've reopened, this is for sure the most full uh, that this room has been. And so it's encouraging to see you all here. And uh, I think attending church is always complicated, um, but it is much more complicated now than, than it ever has been. And so thank you for being here. Uh, thank you for honoring the guidelines in place, even though I know that, that maybe not all agree with those. It's just special to be able to come in and be able to worship together. So uh, I need to say something before uh, we turn our attention to the sermon, before we turn our attention to Colossians, I want to uh, acknowledge something that uh, if you're new here is not going to make a lot of sense, uh, but if you've been here for six months, especially a year or more, is going to uh, resonate. Uh, What I want to acknowledge is that today is somewhat of a marker for us uh, as a church. A year ago on this Sunday, uh, what was supposed to be a Sunday of celebration uh, as we took another step towards becoming our own church, uh, instead was a Sunday of sadness and a Sunday of shock. A year ago today, I read a statement sharing uh, just really devastating news about um, disqualifying sin in the life of one of our elders, really in the life of the man who was in many ways responsible for the fact that this church even exists. Uh, And we shared that news, and it went out among us in ways that were heartbreaking, in ways that were wounding, in ways that, as you can imagine, was uh, really sad. That was a year ago. I bring that up today because I think it's important to remember, um, because it gives us an opportunity to see what God has done. I don't bring that up to drag someone's sin back into the present or to to drag a a difficult past into the public, Uh, but because it is part of our shared story, and it being part of our shared story, a year in, what we have is we have an opportunity to thank God. The movement of God, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you'll, you'll know this to be true. The movement of God, the work of God, is most clearly seen over time. It's less visible in the day-to-day. It's less visible in the week-to-week. But when you look back over time, over months, when you look back a year in, when you look back multiple years in, the hand of God, the work of God, uh, it comes into focus in just a, a different way. And so today, looking back at a year, what comes into focus is that God has been so faithful. He's just been so faithful. We said a year ago, I said that we would be a limping people, and in our weakness, in our limp, we would need to lean on God. And what's most true is not that this past year, what's most true is not that we've gone from being a weak people to a strong people. What is most true is that we have been a people who over and again have seen that we have a strong God who sees us 
and who hears us and who has gone before us and is faithful to us. So I just want to name some prayers that we prayed a year ago that God has answered. We asked him to use the mess for his glory, and he did. We asked him to protect the unity of our church, and he did. We asked him to provide for us, especially where we've lost, and he did. We asked him to heal and restore and to go before us, and he did. We asked him to be all that we need, and he was, and he is, and he always will be. So today, more than I want to remember, I just want to take time to thank God together for who he is and for what he's done. I've asked Jeff our first elder at this church, one who's walked with us in the mountains of our time together and in the valleys of our time together, I've asked him to come and to pray and to just lead us in a time of thanking God for who he is and what he's done. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Lord, we pause to consider your attributes, Lord. You, Father, are loving. You, Lord, are kind. You, Lord, are just. You are gracious. You are faithful, Lord Jesus. You are all of these things, Lord. And we praise your name for your attributes, Lord. We praise your name for uh, your virtues, Father. And they have been made manifest in our hearts, Lord. And we've seen your virtue, Father, woven and move among us, Father, this past year. And we praise your name, Lord Jesus. And we're so thankful for the good work that you've done, Lord. I was reminded just this week In reading in Genesis, when Joseph was reconciled to his brothers, he told his brothers what the enemy intended for evil, God meant for good. And Father, we just embrace that truth here today, Lord, that you are sovereign over it all, through all the twists and turns, Lord. Father, through all the unexpected things, Lord, through our own sinfulness, Lord, through our rejoicing, through our strengths and our weaknesses, Father, you are sovereign over it all, and you are good, And that is really good news. And so we love you, Lord, and we praise you, and we thank you for the good work that you've done in our hearts and in this place this past year, Lord. Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Colossians chapter 3, this morning will be in verses 19 and 21. For several weeks now, we've been uh, in a part of the book of Colossians that uh, gives us a picture of the Christian life. So chapter 3 is a lot of instruction. This is how you live. This is what your life uh, should look like. And the picture it's giving us is really what it looks like to become like Jesus. So uh, we are saved as we are. We've said this on repeat. We're saved as we are. We are loved right where we are. But that love will not leave us the same. That love changes us to look like Jesus. And uh, the past few weeks, the past three really, we've had a conversation about what that looks like in the home. So in marriages between husbands and wives, uh, in the parent-child relationship, uh, what does it look like to follow Jesus? How will God use those relationships to shape us to become like Jesus? And why that is so important, hear me, 
is because who you are in the home is often the most true picture of who you are. Uh, it's the most unfiltered, it's the most honest, and, and while that can be challenging for many of us, uh, what, what is true, the point behind that is that the love of Jesus is going to transform us, and the version of us that it wants to transform is the version of us that's most unadorned, the version of us that's most true, the version of us that's most raw and unfiltered, and, and even the versions of us that are most broken. And so we'll continue that conversation this morning, but I, I do want you to know we will continue that conversation in a way that's very narrow. In other words, our focus is going to, uh, to narrow a bit, and I'm going to be talking mostly to husbands and mostly to fathers, not all but mostly to husband and fathers. And so what I'm about to say for 30 minutes or so is going to be applicable to women, and it's going to be applicable to men who aren't married and who don't have kids. It's going to be applicable to children in many ways. But what the Bible has done in two verses that we'll see this morning is it's narrowed its focus, and it's narrowed its focus to make a very important point. And here's it. I want to say it in a sentence. Husbands and fathers, with your wife and with your kids, you are to be a gentle presence. You're to be a gentle presence. If I were to turn that statement into a question to you, husband, to you, father, the question that I believe the Lord has for us this morning is this. Are you a gentle presence in your home? Are you a gentle presence with your wife? Are you a gentle presence with your kids? Now, the words gentle presence are not in any of these verses that we just read. So let me show you where I'm getting that from. Colossians is going to devote four verses, 18 through 21, devotes four verses to talking about the home. And in those four verses, two of them are directed towards men. Two of them are direct. One is directed towards husbands. One is directed towards fathers. But those two verses share a do not command. It says in both of those verses, it says, do not do something. I want you to listen while I read so that you can hear it. Verse 19, Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Verse 21. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Do you hear it? He's narrowing his focus. God is speaking to men in their homes as husbands, as fathers. And he says, do not be harsh do not provoke. As a husband, love your wife, and there's something that, that corrodes love, and that's being harsh. Don't do it. Uh, as a father, do not provoke your children. If you provoke them, they become discouraged. That word discouraged means they lose heart. One translation says they become hopeless. And so do not be harsh, do not provoke. They're not the same word in Greek, but they do have the same meaning. Harsh and provoke both mean do not embitter. The Bible uses that word in another book to describe something that can sour or water that's become undrinkable because it has become bitter. And so if you take the two commands and you put them together, do not be harsh, do not provoke, what it's saying is it's warning husbands and warning fathers to not operate in the home in a way that embitters the home. Dads, husbands, don't operate in the home in a way that sours the home. Have you thought about, friends, have you thought about your presence in the home as having that kind of power? That your presence in the home has the power to sour the home. That your presence in the life of your men, your presence in the life of your children can lead to hopelessness in their life. That's weighty. And here's what I know. Most husbands and fathers, not all, but most husbands and fathers grieve at the thought of that. 
They, they grieve the thought that those words could describe their impact in the home. I don't know many men who have said, you know, actually, that's what I want. I want to embitter my wife. That's my goal. Uh, I, I want to provoke my children, right? I want my presence in the home to sour the home. When my kids talk about me one day, I want them to say, you know what, Dad? You made me hopeless. That would be a terrible Father's Day card. Nobody would buy it, right? Because most of us, especially if you're here, you love the Lord. Most of us have good, right, pure hopes for our homes. We want to love God. We want to love our families. We want the impact of our presence in the home to be that the home flourishes, that the home is safe, that, that our wives feel love, that our children are filled with courage, not robbed of hope, filled with life, not brought to discouragement. So if we were to take those two do not commands, do not be harsh, do not provoke, and if we were to make them positive, we could say this, be, the Bible says, to be a gentle presence in your home, to be a gentle presence with your wife, to be a gentle presence with your kids. Could we say be a righteous presence and that be biblical? Yes, of course. Could we say be a godly presence? Yes. Could we say be a strong presence? Well, depending on what you mean by strong, yes, we could say that. Why the word gentle? Because of the words that God's word chooses to use. It chooses to use the word harsh. It chooses to use the word provoke. And the opposite of those words is gentleness. A gentle presence from a husband and from a father, it sets a climate of love and safety in the home. And that's the responsibility of a godly man in his home. I heard a metaphor years ago that I thought was uh, cheesy when I first heard it, uh, but I found it helpful in many ways. And I think about it a lot when I think about this conversation about being a presence in the home. Uh, I read it in a leadership book back in college when I was at Baylor, and it says this. It says, there is a difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. Uh, A thermometer reads temperature. So on Sunday mornings before I leave the house, I do a a fever check. It's just part of our protocols for our staff and volunteers. This morning, I got our thermometer, checked my temperature. It was 98. And uh, the thermometer, what it did for me in that moment is it told me what my temperature was. All it did was read temperature. A thermostat's different. A thermostat, it doesn't simply read temperature, it sets it. It it reads it and sets it and then it changes it. It's a mechanism and it's an instrument that controls the climate of a room. So there's four or five in this room right now and this room feels the way it does because of the thermostat setting the temperature in this room. And the point of the book, it was two leaders, but the point of the book was to say there are some roles that by nature, the role is a thermostat kind of role. It has a thermostat kind of effect. And so to be a leader is to be someone who's not a thermometer. You don't just read temperature, but you, because of the role that you're in, you will set temperature. And uh, to have the role, to have power to change, to have power to set is one that should be viewed with intentionality. And so there's something of that going on in this passage. Husbands and fathers, to be a husband, to be a father is to have a thermostat kind of effect on the emotional, spiritual, relational climate of your home. There are no, hear me, there are no husbands, there are no fathers that are thermometers in their impact, none. To have that role is to have the power and is to be able to set a climate. So the question is not, do I or don't I? The question is, what kind of temperature am I setting? What kind of climate does my presence bring into the home? And the Bible would say that the climate that we are to set, God tells us to set a climate of love and encouragement and safety, and that comes by being a gentle presence, not provoking, not being harsh, 
but to exist with your wife, to exist with your kids in a way that sets a tone of love and sets a tone of safety by being a gentle presence in their life. So back to my question. Husband and father, are you a gentle presence in your home? Are you a gentle presence with your wife? Are you a gentle presence with your kids? I want to answer two questions. What does that look like and why does it matter? And then we'll be done. We're not close to being done, but we'll answer those two questions and then we will be done. So what does it look like to be a gentle presence? Let me illustrate it like this. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Uh, there's three kinds of, of, of men in their homes. There is the heavy-handed husband and father. There is the hands-off husband and father. And then there is the hands-open husband and father. And the hands-open husband and father is the one who's the gentle presence. The heavy-handed husband and father in the home, here's what he looks like. Let me give you a typology of him. The heavy-handed man is not gentle, doesn't lead the home, controls the home, and that's not the same thing. He withholds love to get what he wants. He yells, he curses. He's always changing the rules in the home because what he wants in the home is to be worshiped in the home, but he can never get the worship he wants because it's worship he doesn't deserve, and he's not safe. Maybe he is a religious man, and so he uses the Bible to demand obedience, but he never uses the Bible to comfort or to magnify the love of God, and he himself does not submit to the Word of God. He is an expert on the failures of his wife and his kids, and he demands his wife and kids be an expert on what bothers him so that they make sure to never do that, and to be an expert on what pleases him to make sure that that's what they always do. Here's the climate he sets in the home. He sets a climate of fear through his control. And in that climate, here's how his family feels. His wife feels scared. She feels crazy. She feels like something must be wrong with her. And maybe if she were different, then he would be happier. She feels like her opinion doesn't matter because it's never sought. She doesn't have a voice in the home. His kids feel small. They feel scared. They never know what will make dad mad or what will please him, and so they will find ways to cope with that pain in hiding, and they can't talk about that pain because honesty requires safety, and dad has replaced the safety with turmoil. And you know what happens when that happens? You lose hope, become hopeless, become discouraged. If dad is harsh, if he is heavy-handed, if the husband is heavy-handed and not gentle, then the home sours people in the home are embittered. They lose hope. There's another kind of man, and he's a hands-off kind of man. Um, so it's not that he's not gentle. It's that he's not present. And even when he's physically there, he's still absent. And so home is not a place that he leads. Home is a place that he escapes. And something else has gotten his best and it doesn't mean that he's lazy. He just hasn't given all of his energy, and he's given all of his emotion, and he's given all of his passion somewhere else. And so maybe he's great at being a strong presence at work. Maybe he's great at being a passionate presence in his hobby or with his team. But at home, he is hands-off. He's checked out. He is absent. And the climate that he sets is one of confusion. There's a void that is meant to be filled by the godly presence of a gentle, godly husband and a gentle, godly father, and the home is out of order because someone or something has had to step into the void that his passivity has created. Husband, you, only you, can love your wife the way that a husband has been called. Only you. 
dads. No other man in the world can be dad to your children the way that you can. And it is a unique, weighty, glorious role that it's entrusted to you by God. And there's tons of grace for it. And it's been entrusted to you to imperfectly but faithfully carry. And to abdicate that role is to leave a void in the home and in the hearts of those in your home. And to be a hands-off husband, to be a hands-off father. Here is how his family feels. His wife feels alone. His wife feels overlooked, overwhelmed, inadequate. And, and maybe, to be honest, maybe that comes out in unhealthy ways, like her being really critical or by, by her nagging a lot. Or maybe that comes out in sinful ways, which she is responsible for, right? Even when provoked, we are all responsible for what comes out of our own lives. That's true. But underneath that, underneath that discontentment, underneath maybe that criticism, underneath that, she just wants him. She just wants him to care wants him to enter in, wants him to be present in the home, is confused as to why he used to pursue her with so much intentionality when they were dating, is confused why she used to, he used to pursue her so well early on in marriage, and now his attention is something that she has to earn. What happened, she wonders. And so she's insecure. She's embittered, growing hopeless. His kids, the hands-off dad, his kids feel used, they feel neglected, they feel unseen, they feel unheard. Attention and affection are something I have to earn so I will perform and I will adapt so that I can earn the love that should simply come from being a child. Instead of dad learning the child and helping shape them into who God wants them to be, the child has to try and learn what it takes to get dad to simply see them and want to spend time with them. And the, the heavy-handed presence and the, the hands-off lack of presence, what it does is it spoils and embitters the home. It sets a climate in the home that leads to conflict and it leads to hopelessness. And these are, friends, I know that you know this, I can feel it. These are broken, painful realities. Then there is the husband. Then there is the father who is hands open in the home. And he is a gentle presence in the home. And what he says is, I will live with my, my wife and I will live with my kids in a way that sets a climate of love and sets a climate of safety by being a gentle presence. Uh, Henry Nouwen, he's a Catholic theologian, author, pastor, and he has a great definition for this word. He says, gentle people, here's what they do. Gentle people tread lightly. They listen carefully. They look intently and they touch with reverence. They tread lightly, listen carefully, look intently, and touch with reverence. And a gentle dad, a gentle husband, a gentle man with a gentle presence embodies all of these things. And in his life, it comes out as one who sees his family. In his life, it comes out as one who has time to hear hurts and, and, and to hear uh, and to comfort. His touch is reverent. He uses his strength into home to protect the people in his home and uses his strength in the home to propel those in the home towards where God wants them to be. And he is approachable and he's open to correction. And his body language in the home communicates safety and openness. And he knows the words that Jesus' brother James spoke when he says to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry and he is a gentle presence in his home and his home benefits from his gentle presence now please don't hear what i'm not saying husband father i'm not saying that you can prevent brokenness in your home 
I'm not saying that you can prevent all brokenness in your home. Uh, what I'm not saying is I'm not saying uh, to the husbands and to the fathers that you are responsible or that you can fix brokenness in the hearts of the people in your home. You and I, men, we have not been entrusted with the role of Savior, and you and I have not been given the resources to save. That's true. So you can be a gentle presence, or you can be striving to be a gentle presence and, and have a wife that can respond to that in a sinful way. Now is a great time to repeat what we said a few weeks ago. Wives, you have a front row seat to your husband's life. You have a front row seat to his weaknesses. You have a front row seat to his sins. You, more than anyone in the room, have a front row seat to the degree to which he is either being faithful or failing to do all that we just said. And God did not give you that seat to sit in as a scoffer or to sit in as a critic, but that you might walk with your husband as a friend and a helper, encouraging him towards godliness. So men, I do not believe the Bible is saying that you're the cause of all the problems in your home. For instance, uh, a gentle dad does not guarantee that kids grow up loving God. A gentle dad does not guarantee that kids grow up and never become hopeless. You know this truth. Here's something that we all know to be true. Some of the people that look most like Jesus have come from some of the most broken homes. Yes? The inverse is also true. Some of the most broken people come from some of the most functional and stable and righteous homes. You can have a righteous response to a broken home. You can also have an unrighteous response to a blessed home. Grace can be received from some of the darkest places, and grace can also be rejected from some of the brightest ones. So hear me. I am not offering an equation for how to produce the perfect home. You and I don't have that power. The Bible is offering a vision for being a gentle presence so that you can say to God, and you can say with honesty that in as much as it depends on me, I have tried to love well and I've tried to set a climate of safety and love by being gentle and being a gentle presence. And that gives your home a shot in the climate of safety and love. It gives your wife a shot to feel seen and to feel loved. And you speak value over her as she is for who she is and for what she does. And you do not manage her insecurities or ignore her insecurities. You fight with her against them with patience and truth. And, and her failures are met with grace from you. And her fears are met with assurance from you. And she has heard the gospel preached to her from your mouth. And you have modeled repentance to her in the ways that you've apologized because we all know that we need to over and again. And you Use your power in the home for her flourishing. Gentle dads, your kids feel safe. They can talk to dad. They don't have to perform for his attention. He gives it freely. And their failure is met with grace. And their fears are met with strong confidence from dad. And they have heard the gospel preached to them from your mouth saying, Children, Jesus is better. And he is enough. And he can cover any sin. And he can meet every need. And I, as your dad, I am imperfect. But I want my life to be all about him. And as your dad, I want that for your life too. It's my greatest ambition for your life, child. They have heard the words, I'm sorry, do you forgive me, from your voice. They have been equipped by dad to face the world filled with hope. Husbands, fathers, this is who God calls us to be in the home. To set a climate of love, to set a climate of safety by being a gentle presence. Why does that matter? It's our second question. And if you missed everything else, please don't miss this. It matters because God 
is gentle. It matters because that's who God is. He is a gentle presence. Let me ask you a question. I hope you hear it. What kind of God commands husbands and fathers to not be harsh? What kind of God commands to not provoke? What kind of God says, be careful with your wife and care for your kids? What kind of God says, be gentle in your home? One, the kind of God who himself is gentle with his family. The kind of God who is gentle with those who belong to him. And what God is asking then of men in their homes is to reflect his heart for his family as those who first and foremost belong to him. A few months ago, my wife, Carrie, took our older two kids out of town, and I was at home for a week with our youngest. Uh, she had just turned two, uh, and it was the first time that I was home alone with her, only one caring for her. And so my wife, Carrie, she is a planner. Just she, she loves structure. She loves a schedule. And at the very core of who she is, that's who she is. I am less like that. I'm a little more spontaneous. I'm a little more impulsive. Uh, and that difference between us has never caused any conflict in our marriage. <laughs> Sorry, babe, that was passive aggressive. And not gentle, ironically. Um, she is leaving, and I'm going to be with Ayla by myself for the first time. And so here's what Carrie does, because that's, that's who she is. She left a page of notes. She actually typed it out. And it was called A Day in the Life of Ayla. And it was full of details about Ayla's day. She had so much confidence in me. It's full of details about Ayla's day, her, her schedule, uh, when she naps, when she usually eats. So most of it I already knew, but in all honesty, I'm forgetful and she was trying to help me. And so it's details about when she drinks her milk and her favorite things to eat for lunch and, and when's the best time for her afternoon nap. And it's like, she needs to nap by this time. And listen, if you let her sleep past one, the next morning she's gonna be up before six. And I really appreciated that information, right? But it's all those kinds of things. And here's what was true. To read through that page, we still have it at home. To read through it, you learn about what's true about Ayla, but you also learn about Carrie. You learn about her that she cares for her kids, and you learn about her how she cares for her kids, that her care for our children is expressed in the detail that she knows about them, in the, in the life that she has helped to shape and create for them. And that attention to detail, I can tell you, that desire to care for others, to provide, to meet needs, that's who she is. She was that way before we had kids. It's true about her now. And in her writing all of that down, here's what's happening. In her writing all that down, she wants me to show the same care in the same way for our daughter as she does. You could ask a question about it. You could read through A Day in the Life of Ayla, written by Carrie Roller, and you could ask, what kind of mom takes time to write out how to care for her daughter? The kind of mom who herself knows and cares for her children. What kind of God? What kind of God in writing his instruction? What kind of God in offering his notes? Men, with your wives, don't be harsh. With your kids, don't provoke. In your home, be gentle. What kind of God? A gentle one. One who out of his very heart with his own is gentle himself. The Bible tells us this about God. I'm reading a book now on the heart of God, and the author makes this point. He says, in all four Gospels, there's only one time where Jesus talks about the condition of his heart. Plenty of times in the Gospels where Jesus will talk about the condition of someone else's heart, but only one time where he talks about his heart, where he says, here is what my heart is like. It's Matthew 11, come to me, 
all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light, because I am gentle. I am gentle and I am lowly in heart. For those who come to me, what is my heart? It's gentle. What am I like to those who I care for? I am gentle. Husbands, dads, that's why it matters. That's why it matters to be that gentle presence. Why it matters is you get to offer in your gentle presence to your family a picture of the very heart of God because the very heart of God towards his own is gentleness. We need that. We need that right now. Um, Two things have happened in the past 30 minutes. Not just two things, but not less than these two things. What's happened in the last 30 minutes is as I have described who husbands and fathers should be, some of you in the room, whether you're a dad or not, whether you're a man or not, some of you in the room have been reminded of how you've been failed. In the last 30 minutes, others of you, if you are a dad, you are a husband, maybe you've been confronted with how you have failed or at least where you feel like you're struggling, both responses have the same need. Whether you feel like you've been failed, whether you feel like you have failed, both need a gentle God who can heal our wounds and who can cover our failures. So for many of you, you knew heavy-handed dad. You knew him. You knew absent, hands-off dad. Or maybe you didn't, and that's the point. Many knew or know that husband. Maybe you're a mom and you're doing this all by yourself because of someone's failures against you. Maybe you're a dad trying to be the dad that you yourself never had. And you get lost in this conversation and it stirs up pain for you. Maybe for you, all the men in your life have been the opposite of a gentle presence. And so you know harsh and you know hopeless and you know empty promises and you know the void left and you know not having a voice. You've never known gentle You've never known safe. You've never known unconditional love. You've never known free to fail. You've never known grace. You've never known a reverent touch. You've never known a listening ear. You've never known being delighted in and celebrated and seen and held. And God is gentle with those wounds right now. My friend, all that you've never known, you have in abundance in a God who calls you his own. He knows you. He is near to the brokenhearted. It is to the weary and the wounded that Jesus calls to and says, come to me and I'll give you rest. Come to me and I will offer healing for your wounds. And Jesus, with the gentle heart of God beating in his chest, offers healing for your pain right now. That in him you might know unconditional love. That in him you might know free to fail. That in him you might know grace and know a reverent touch and know a listening ear and know being delighted in and celebrated and seen and held. And I want you to know that over the ways that you have been failed stands a gentle Savior with a gentle heart who can do in your pain and who can do in your life what David sings in Psalm 30. You have turned from me my mourning into dancing. You have lifted my grief and clothed me with gladness. See Jesus, friend. He's gentle. He can heal your wounds. The gentle presence you have been missing is found in him. He can also, friend, 
He can also cover your failures. Uh, husband, dad, I don't know your story. I know mine. Uh, and I know there have been times, seasons even, when the climate I've set in my home has not been love and has not been safety because I've not been a gentle presence. Uh, there are days where in my stress I've been irritable and unapproachable. There have been whole seasons where I have been distracted by lesser things and therefore absent when my family needed me to be present. And I don't mean to describe all of that as past tense because that's present struggle. And I daily need God to open my hands when they want to be heavy or when they want to retreat. I daily need God to open my hands that I might be in my home what he's called me to be. How about you? Have you been heavy-handed? Have you been hands-off? And if you're like me, maybe you're not, but if you're like me, the most natural place to go in failure or in struggle is to guilt. The most natural place to go is to shame, and guilt and shame on this conversation always leads to despair. Don't. There's a better way. Brother, hear me. You have, you have a Father in heaven whose hands are open to you. That's who he is. You know uh, who God is to the heavy-handed man who comes to him? Do you know who God is to the hands-off man who comes to him? He's open-handed. He's hands open. He's arms spread, eager to be a gentle presence to you, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what mess comes to mind as you hear these words. Uh, remember, he is gentle with his own, and you are one of his uh, you, uh, he is not harsh with you. He does not provoke you. Think about this. The God who cares that your kids not become hopeless cares that you don't lose hope. As one of his sons, he cares that you don't lose hope. And he will restore hope in you by being gentle with you. And you can come to him and believe that what he's eager to extend to you is everything that you feel like you haven't been. What he's eager to offer to you is a gentleness that comes unmerited, a gentleness that comes unfiltered, a gentleness that comes straight from his heart to you to cover your failures because you belong to him and because he is gentle and has promised to be gentle. Father, we love you. Oh, that we would get a picture, whether we're in the room now, whether we're watching from home now, that we would get a picture of you and your gentle heart that helps us believe that you are what we need. God, that from your heart would flow a kind of gentleness that restores even now to those in the room who are, who, who are most mindful of their wounds, even now, God, what would flow from your heart to their wounds is the healing gentleness of a Father in heaven, of a God who never fails, of one who is eager to lift faces, to carry burdens, to surround pain with healing. It's what you do, God. You're the God of reversals. You're the God that takes mourning, turns it to dancing. You're the God that restores what's been lost. And would you do it again, God, in the lives of the people that call this place home, in the lives of the people who walked into this place for the first time this morning, in the lives of the people who tuned into this worship service for the first time from wherever they are, God, would you 
by your spirit, apply healing and hope. And Lord, for the husbands and the dads in the room, I don't know, and you do. I don't know the story, and you do. I don't know the questions, and you do. I don't know the frustration or the despair or the places where they feel stuck. You know it all, and what comes to all of us. From your heart, O God, is a desire to love, even in correction, even in uh, conviction, desire to surround us with your love and with your gentle heart, oh God. I pray, God, that you would make, as a, as a pastor here, hopefully for the rest of my life, I pray that you would make the men of this church men who are open-handed in their homes, men whose hands are open, eager to be a gentle presence, to set a climate of love and safety. And I pray, God, I pray that in order to be those men, we would be men who receive from your open hands every day. Receive what will never run out for us, God. We love you and we thank you. So you hear me pray. Amen.